Hello, this is Terry Cheek. I want to thank you for choosing our broadcast, and my prayer is that it will be an encouragement to your walk with the Lord. Comments or questions can be directed to me via the link on our sermon audio page. Now, on to your selection. A lot of revival during the time of Philadelphia. They were under um, a, a lot of good movement. The Holy Ghost was moving. People were being saved. Some of your great historical preachers were known throughout this period of time in history. Uh, the D.L. Moody's, the Charles Spurgeons, and those men, they, were, they came through this period of time. Those are just examples. But they're there. So all the Christians wanted to be a part of this, and they still do today because it's still possible to be part of the Church of Philadelphia today. But there's something about being a part of that church. We're going to see from the text, it requires dedication. It requires a dedication that is selfless. A dedication that is serving to God and to Him alone. That's why the church age that we represent today is the Laodicean age. And we'll talk about them next week. But we've had a falling away of that dedication. Now that's not true for everybody. There are some in the church today who are still very dedicated. But that's what it takes in order to be part of the church of Philadelphia. So tonight I want to open God's word from Revelation chapter 3 beginning with verse 7. And the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man can shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So there's what the Lord had to say to the church of Philadelphia. And again, it's the church that everybody wants because everybody wants to hear. I have set before you an open door and nobody can shut it. For you have a little strength and has kept the word and has not denied my name. That's what every Christian wants to hear from God. We want to hear that kind of a commendation from Him. 
But there's some things that's required for that to happen. First of all, from verse 7, we, under, so we see the Lord is reminding Philadelphia who He is. He reminds them that it is He alone who possesses absolute holiness. We are not holy. None of us. I don't care who the preacher is. I don't care who the denominational leaders may be. I don't care how good and godly of a life that someone may appear to be leading. There's no one holy in and of themselves. We don't have the ability to be that way. None of us do. God is the only one that is holy. And when I say God, I'm talking about the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are holy. They're the only ones that have that ability. But because of Jesus Christ and because of salvation, He imparts or passes along His holiness to those who call upon Him for salvation. We may not be able to get it in ourselves, but we can receive it from Him. But we realize that it is coming from Him. It's His holiness. And the Lord wants to remind everyone of that, that they alone possess absolute holiness. Also, that they are genuine, authentic, and real. There is no other God. Now, it is true, people can have false gods, People can have, they can make idols and gods of their own things and things in their own lives, whether it's money or other people or power or jobs or careers or whatever it may be. People can have other gods in their lives. But there is only one true God. And He sits on the throne in heaven. He is the creator of everything. He is the creator not only of this earth, but He is the creator of this universe and He is the creator of everyone that has ever lived and ever will live on the face of this earth. It is He who is genuine, who is real. He is the only true God there is. And that is present in three forms. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit the triune Godhead. And Jesus alone has the sovereign authority to determine who enters the kingdom. It is Jesus who said, I have came to seek and to save. And it is those who accept that salvation that He grants entrance into heaven. Now that isn't because He picks and chooses who goes there. No one, no one dies and slips into hell because God didn't want them in heaven. No one goes to hell because God didn't want them. If anyone dies and slips into hell, it's because they didn't want God. Now think about that. If anyone dies and slips into hell, it is because they didn't want God. Not God didn't want them. God doesn't turn any of us away. If we will come to Him and we will repent and we will ask Him to save us, 
then He will save us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He will forgive our sin. He will forgive our sin and He will write our name in the Lamb's Book of Life and there it will stay forever. And we will have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So it is through Jesus that people have access to the kingdom of God and only through Jesus. This description and this reminder of who the Lord is, it stresses Christ's omnipotence. That's His authority. Omnipotence is all power. Christ has all power over heaven and earth. He has all power over everything. He possesses the keys to death and hell and the grave. He has all of that. So Christ opens this story. He opens this letter to the church of Philadelphia by reminding them about his authority, about who he is. Not to browbeat them, not to hold them down, not to press them down, not to depress them, but to lift them up and to encourage them. Because he wants them to know that they are worshiping a God, worshiping the only God who has the authority to intervene in their lives and take care of them and encourage them and strengthen them. He wants them to understand that as he moves on into this letter. Next out of verse 8 we see through 11 that Philadelphia was small in number but it had a powerful impact on the city. When the Bible says that they were small, they were a small small church compared to the rest of the city. Compared to the world around them and outside, they were a very small number. But yet, God done an amazing work throughout all of history with very small numbers of people. When you look at just the Gospels, And you look at the apostles of Christ. Twelve men. Twelve. And the Lord used those twelve men to change the lives of people and to change the course of history. He affected the entire world and is still being affected today because of those twelve apostles. Now there were many more disciples or followers that were underneath them But those twelve started the process that became the work of the church. And he tells Philadelphia that they are small, but they made a powerful impact. Just because we think we are small, even here in this little county, the church numbers versus the other numbers are very small. Don't think that you can't have an impact on people. Because you may consider yourself small. I may consider myself small. But never, never think that you're so small that you can't make an impact. Never think that you're so small that the Lord can't use you to make an impact on other people. The words that you use, the kindness that you show, the compassion that you reach out with, All of that makes a difference in people's lives. All of those are actions that God can use to make an impact in someone's life. 
The simple fact of you talking to someone and they they and you talk to them about anything that was going on in your life, about the things that you've been through, and giving God some glory for bringing you through what you've been through in life is enough to make a major impact in someone else's life. You would be surprised what that does to help people. Being small or being considered small in number doesn't mean you can't make an impact. The people in the church of Philadelphia made a major impact. Christians every day make a major impact. Not because of who they are, but because of how great God is and how they allow Him to work through them. That's what the secret was for the people in Philadelphia. They were on fire for the Lord. They were anxious to be obedient and they were anxious to let God have His way in their life. And because of that, God worked through them to impact an entire world. And and that impact went on for centuries. And in a major way, it's still going on today around the world. Believers at Philadelphia were also marked by their obedience, which was one of the key factors that they made the impact they did. They were obedient to God. They may not have been obedient to the Roman government. They may not have been obedient to the local government, but they were obedient to God. They were peaceful with the Roman government. They were peaceful with the local government. But they were obedient to God. That marks the life of a Christian. Being obedient to God has us living in peace with all of those around us. It has us living in peace with the government even though we may not agree with them. Even though we may voice that disagreement. The local government, the state government, the national government, we may may voice that disagreement. And we may even have to stand and stand on uh, stand on those virtues that we hold dear and true. Because being, if being disobedient to God means being obedient to a local government, then we have to make a choice. But these folks were obedient to God. And that is a lesson that we can learn from the church of Philadelphia. Our obedience to God and our loyalty to Him makes an impact in the people around us. Not only that, they remained loyal no matter what it cost them. I just mentioned loyalty. And it costed some of them dearly. Some of them, it cost their lives. Now, in America today, we don't see that. We don't see that taking place and see that going on. In other countries around the world, yes. People are dying every day because of what they believe, because they believe in the Lord, because they follow Him. Not in America yet. (coughs) Not in America yet. It may get here one day. But nonetheless, there's still a price to pay in America for being loyal to Christ. And that, that price is being criticized. That price is being persecuted socially. I'll tell you from experience, 
being on social media, being on Twitter, being on Facebook. I post scripture there often. And I post all kinds of testimonies about what God has done in my life. I post a a lot of things on there. And and I get attacked often by other people, by atheists and by those who don't follow and who uh, who don't agree with me. But that's okay. Because I know I'm basing what I say on the truth of God's Word. I'm going to stay loyal to the Lord. I'm going to try to live in peace with these people. I'm going to try to live in peace with every person. And if they want to attack me verbally, whatever, that's fine. They can do that. But I'm going to be loyal to the Lord. Loyalty will have its sacrifices. Loyalty will mean that there will be things that we have to tolerate. But you know what? If we really are loyal and obedient to the Lord, we won't mind tolerating that stuff. As a matter of fact, we will find joy in it. That's what Peter says. Peter says we will find joy in that. Because when we find that criticism, when we find that persecution, when it comes into our lives, it will let us know that we're doing the right thing for the Lord. And as we do the right thing for Him, then those who hate Him, those who disagree, those who want to quarrel with Him, who want to quarrel with His Word, those who want to argue this stuff, it will, they will rise up and they will be vindictive. They will be angry over it. So Philadelphia was noted because of their loyalty, because their obedience and their faithfulness and their strength, no matter what it costs them. So the Christians of Philadelphia were very loyal people. Its members had also kept the word of his perseverance. They were steadfast. When when we say they persevered, they endured everything that came about. The government would withhold things from them. As a matter of fact, at this point in time in church history, in the first century, if you were a Christian and you were very vocal about being a Christian, they would fire you from your job. You wouldn't have a job. They would throw you out of your house. They wouldn't, they wouldn't rent you a house just because you were a devout Christian. That's why when we see in the book of Acts, they talk about the first church and they talk about the communal living where all the Christians had to live together in one community and they took their goods and they sold their goods and they all put it in one treasury so that they could all live off of it. That's part of the reason why they were there. They had been, they had lost their jobs, they had been kicked out of their house, so they took the rest of their belongings and they sold them and they moved and they moved into a tent city. It's what we would call it today. They moved into a tent city and they took all their money and they put it together so that everybody could have something to eat and everybody could have clothes to wear and everybody could share everything equally. And then those that could go back and find work found work and they helped contribute to everything going on there. The ones that couldn't, they took care of things in the tent community. But there was a reason for that communal living. Times were hard in the first century for Christians. Much harder than they are today. But it's a lesson on perseverance that we can learn, that Christians today can learn from. That if they can persevere, 
if they can hold on to that loyalty, if they can hold on to that obedience, if they can hold on to all of that, then we can. We can gain strength from their testimony. Now that was verses, that was down through 11, but there's something special in verse 10 I want to bring out. Verse 10 promises the church, promises Philadelphia that they would not experience some trouble. This is the revelation mention of the rapture of the church. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. When it says they will not experience that time, they will be delivered from tribulation. It is a supporting supporting idea of the rapture of the church. The Lord says they're not going to be there when the really bad stuff hits. When the Lord brings his judgment upon the earth, the church will not be there. And the church is not a denomination. He's not talking about Baptists or Methodists or Catholics or whomever. He's talking about every individual who is known to have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the church. So coming out of these is a promise to those that are saved that this, all of these troubles that, that the church may have to experience, they're not going to last forever. There is a day when the Lord is going to come back and He's going to call His church out. And that rapture that we talk so much about, that rapture is a point that's mentioned over in Thessalonians. As a matter of fact, it is Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, where he says the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those which remain will be called up into the air. The Lord is not coming back to stand on the earth at this time, but he's calling his church up to him. And that's a time when all of the saved in Christ up to that moment will be called. So there are some serious and very real promises that are being made out of this church of Philadelphia. Things that are working heavily. Things that are working strong. Things that we need to be aware of today. Because when that time comes, whether it is tonight or tomorrow or next year or 10 years from now or 100 years from now, if we're saved, And whether we're alive or whether we're dead, it doesn't matter. We're going to be called up to meet Jesus in the air. Now that's a thought that we can't really get our mind wrapped around right now. And some people may say, well, you know, how does does he call the dead up out of the ground? He says the dead will rise first. How does he call them up? I don't know, but I can give you a, a, a thought. I don't know the mind of God, but I can give you a thought. All of the Christians throughout history that have been that, that have died and been buried and, and, and the, the bodies have decayed in the ground, all of them who have been burned and their ashes have been spread and strode, all of them who have died in the oceans and their bodies never recovered, all that have been killed in wars and their bodies have been blown apart into pieces, What about them? How will their bodies be resurrected? 
In the beginning in Genesis, when God created Adam, God took a handful of dirt and he used that handful of dirt to create Adam. If God can do that at the beginning, those who may not have a body in a casket preserved to be called forth, God can take a handful of dirt and He can recreate that body to call it forth from the ground. If He can do that once, I believe He can do it again. And I believe He can do it over and over and over as many times as He needs to. Will that be how He operates? I don't know. That's my, that is just a thought that comes to my mind when I read this and I think about it. God is God. He's all-powerful. Remember, He reminded us of this at the very first in verse 7 of how authoritative and how powerful that He was. How does God begin the process of creating a human being in the womb of a woman? Science still hasn't got all of that figured out yet. But yet, God does it. I don't know how he's going to call forth all of the dead in Christ. But I know he will because he says he will. And I've got faith in that tonight. Also in verse 11, we're reminded of something. The church of Philadelphia, they've been faithful to Christ. And he commends them to remain so. He says, hold fast to what you're doing. There's those two words again, hold fast. We covered those in a previous message. It talks about gripping and holding on for dear life. It is a grasping of a rope of a lifeline. And here he's telling Philadelphia, you've been doing the right things. You've been going the right way. Hold fast to what you've been doing. So I'll tell you tonight, men, if you're, on, if you're ready and you're working for God and you've got your life in the right direction for the Lord tonight, hold fast. Hold on to what you're doing. Don't let the world discourage you. Don't let things discourage you and, and from doing what you know is the right thing to do. Hold fast to what you're doing. Hold fast to what God's wanting to do in your life because there is a reward for those who hold on. And we're going to hear about that in just a moment. It's encouragement. The church of Philadelphia is encouragement. Yes, it's work. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it is obedience. And yes, it is sacrifice. And yes, it is putting up and tolerating some things. Everybody wants to be all Christians that know about the church of Philadelphia because the Lord had nothing to complain about. They all want to be part of the church of Philadelphia. But it takes a lot of effort, a lot of dedication, a lot of obedience, a lot of faithfulness, a lot of humility in the life of a man to be there and to do that and to be part of this church. But I want to encourage you tonight, if you're on your way, if you're there, if you're on your way to getting there, hold fast to that goal. Hold fast to that thought. Because the Lord wants you there. He wants you in, in this church. He wants you in the church of Philadelphia tonight. He wants you to be that dedicated person. 
Well, then as we move on in verses 12 and 13, he concludes this letter. He makes four promises in the conclusion of this letter. I said he had some things to share, some things to give, some rewards for those who make it, for those who hold on for being there. First of all, he promises that Christ will make him a pillar in the temple and he will not go out from it. What does that mean? Well, a pillar represents stability and permanence. Those who are part of the church of Philadelphia, when they make it to the kingdom of heaven, they're going to be a strong pillar in that kingdom that's up there, in that kingdom of heaven. They're going to be a permanent part of it. They're going to be part of, they're going to sit there with the Lord and they're going to stand with Him and they're going to not just be His servants, but they're going to be the equivalent of the bride of Christ. As a matter of fact, the church is called the bride of Christ. Just as when a man and a wife are joined together in the eyes of God, they become one. When the bride of Christ is joined with the bride which, or the groom that is Christ, they will become one. I'm not saying you'll be, as a, you'll be equal with Christ, but what I am saying is you're going to stand there in His presence, in His temple, in heaven, and you're going to be an important part of it. Christ says the church of Philadelphia will be recognized that way. Also, He says in the second promise that the one who overcomes or the one that endures the one that gets there, he will write on him the name of his God. That depicts ownership. You will be, you will be recognized as being a servant of God. As being that person who had that special relationship with God. That person who walked and testified that person who worked, that person who endured, that person who influenced others around them. Then there's a third promise. That third promise is to write on believers the name of the city, of which is the new Jerusalem, which comes down to heaven. That, that's a picture of citizenship. When those that are called up, when those that are entering into the kingdom of God, when they get there, they, they have become citizens of the new Jerusalem. They have become citizens of the kingdom of God. It is something to say that you're, you're going to have a glorified body because you've been called forth into heaven with the Lord. You're going to be standing in the presence of Christ for eternity. You're going to be a pillar of in the kingdom of God and you're going to have eternal citizenship in the city of God. And then finally, Christ promises His new name that represents the fullness of His person. Now we have a lot of ideas about who Christ was because of the Scripture. 
We have a lot of promises about the power of Christ and the authority of Christ. But we really don't know who Christ was. We really don't know Him as the Son of God. Our minds can't comprehend who Christ is. Our minds can't comprehend the depth and the breadth of His authority and of His wonders and of His majesty, of His beauty, of, of, of who He is. We, we just can't grasp it. But we will understand when we stand in that city with Him. We will understand why we will be there and worship Him. We will understand His fullness and His depth and the reality of who He is. The Church of Philadelphia is where we all want to be or should want to be in the presence of God. But it's not something that's easy. It's not something that we earn. It's something that's given to us by the grace of God, but it's something that once it's given, we have a responsibility to maintain it and a responsibility to hold true to it. Tonight, if you're saved, you have that given to you. You have membership in the church of Philadelphia. But are we holding on to it as deeply and as strong as we should and as we could? Only we know in our personal relationship with the Lord where we stand with Him. Only we know how closely we're walking with the Lord. Only we know how closely He wants us. If you're a member of the Church of Philadelphia tonight, are you as close to Him as He wants you to be, as you should be? If you're saved tonight, again, you have that membership. Are you using it? Are you letting it have be fulfilled in your life to God's glory? If not, you can be. You can be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the opportunity to share Your Word tonight. Thank You for, for the men that, that have gathered here. Thank You for the opportunity to meet in their home and to have this message and this meeting. And Heavenly Father, I pray that You will touch hearts and lives. I pray that You'll strengthen us to be that church of Philadelphia. You'll strengthen us to desire that walk with You. Heavenly Father, You'll, you'll strengthen us and encourage us and give us the endurance needed to run the race from here to eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.